0: All right, let's start our time off with with prayer. So I invite you to pray with me. Father, we come to you, and we do, Lord, we come to you. Even that, even the ability, Lord, the gift to call you our Father in heaven is a grace and a mercy, it's a blood-bought gift to us. And, Lord, we come with joy. God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this access that you have provided to yourself. Thank you, God, that we can know you. Thank you, God, that we can draw near to you. Thank you, God, for your presence here among your people, among your church. God, we gather together today and we desire to exalt your name and we desire to hear from you, God. God, I pray that you would save this time from falling into vanity and futility. God, we pray, Lord, All my brothers and sisters around this room, Lord, we lift up a voice in the name of Jesus and we pray, God, that you would meet with us today, Lord, that you would speak to us, the living God, that you would speak to us from your word. Your word is living and active, Lord. You said, God, it's sharper than any two-edged sword and we desire to hear from you, God. By your Holy Spirit, we pray, God, that you'd pierce pierce our hearts with your word today. Lord, we pray that You would open up our eyes, that You would open up blind eyes, and that You would open up our eyes all over this room more and more to the glory of Jesus. Be exalted today, Lord. Be exalted, God. Help us to hear. Help me to teach. Lord, we'll we'll never hear like we're supposed to hear unless You help us. So God, we plead for grace, and we plead for mercy. This is our prayer. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. The title of our message today on the top of your sheet, you should see it. It is A Baby Is Born Named Mighty God. And I just want to sit in that for just a moment. A baby is born named Mighty God. And so before we move forward, I want you to think about some time in your life where you held a newborn infant. I held one just yesterday. And so, the core of this Christmas message, at the very center of it, okay, past the presence, past the family, past the culture and the traditions, at the core of it, what we affirm, what we celebrate, what, what has blasted throughout the ages in the Christian church, at the core, is we, we praise God that there was a moment where an eight-pound human being was born on this planet. Somewhere around there, a small infant child And we affirm and bow down at the thought of even mentioning that this eight, ten pound little baby was God Almighty in the flesh. This is Christmas. This is the central message that there was a baby born in Bethlehem in a manger and his name was Mighty God. And so maybe you're unconvinced of that this morning. And I would just ask you on the front end that you would give God's word that you would give it a hearing. There's a reason why a third of the earth claims to follow this baby in the manger. There's substance here. There's truth in the Word of God and to all the church. I just encourage you this. There is something about our sinful nature where we can become dull to hearing the most important, the most exalted realities in the universe. We have heard this so many times. But this ought to strike us. This ought to pierce us in our souls that there was a baby born, an infant born in His name, was a mighty God. So our aim today, our sole aim, as we unpack this passage today in Isaiah 9, is to exalt the Lord Jesus, to adore God for what He has done in the birth of Jesus Christ. This is God's great gift to the world. This is the ultimate gift of God to humanity. The highest thing that God has done for us is He gave us an infant. He gave us His Son. This is, is central and so today by the grace of God and by the help of the Holy Spirit this is what we're going after we want to be awakened we want to be revived and refreshed to this this is a glorious thing this is a glorious thing that God has done okay statistics tell us that about 350,000 babies are born on the planet every day that's all around the world, about 350, 360,000. Those are image bearers, human beings. They're born all over the world. And almost every single one of them, the vast majority of those infants, they will grow up in relative obscurity in, 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 the, in the vast majority of the world and never know about them. They'll never hear their name. Every once in a while, every once in a while, you'll hear something in the news about a very famous infant. And it is very rare Probably the most recent I can think about this is the royal baby, what, like a year or two ago. And I think there's like another one, okay? And all of a sudden, there's all this talk about this baby that's not even born yet, and he's born, and it's headline news almost all across the world, and that happens very, very rare. But what Christians celebrate, we're we're bringing this down to the core, what we celebrate in the Christian church is the most famous birth in the history of the world, bar none. There is no rival. There is no comparison to this child that was born in Bethlehem. Never, ever, never, ever, ever another baby like this. Consider this. The birth of Jesus alters humanity. It alters humanity. It changed the way that we globally count time Okay, his his birth changed the human calendar, and almost all of humanity counts time with this B C A D. That's he marked. He marked the world. A little baby in a manger, and then consider this: two thousand years after this baby is born, almost a third of the world's population claims to worship a baby that was born in Bethlehem. This is the most famous birth in the history of the world. There is no rivals. There is no rivals. Now, in our culture, you guys know this, uh, we, we do this around grace quite a bit. In our culture, it's becoming a popular thing. When a baby's born, to mail out these birth announcements. You guys seen that? And you'll get a card in the mail, and you'll, you'll see this cute picture of this little bitty newborn baby, and you'll have the picture and the name and the birth date and some little message about so-and-so has been born, Okay? That's an awesome thing. i got pictures almost all the time on my refrigerator of these little babies. But our passage in Isaiah today, this is a birth announcement from God. This is God announcing the birth of His Son. But catch this, unlike anything that you'll ever hang on your refrigerator, unlike anything that you'll ever hang on your refrigerator, this birth announcement comes to humanity 700 years before the child is born. God announces the birth of his son seven centuries before Jesus is even born in Bethlehem in the manger. This is a power realm. This is what God has done. This is our God who declares the end from the beginning. Do you see that? This is what we're unpacking today. Praise God for his perfect foreknowledge and for his word. He is the God who speaks into the present things in the future, he's the God who declares the end. From the beginning, and so in our passage today, Isaiah nine six and seven, we're going to call this the Christmas prophecy. And in this passage today, we're going to unpack this that God announces the birth of His Son seven hundred years before Jesus is born. This is awesome, unlike any birth announcement that the world has ever seen. Let's spend a moment on this on this prophetic realm, this this, this fulfilled prophecy before we unpack this. Okay, because I want this to be this is a powerful defense to the Christian faith. These are facts that every person on the planet should have to deal with. And I want you to just think about in a fresh way. Think about the power of prophecy fulfilled. You imagine that you hold a document in your hands that predicts major world events before they happen. I want you to think about that. Say one morning this next week, you open up this newspaper. USA Today, whatever newspaper you like to read, and you read this story about this Islamic terrorist group named ISIS that's sweeping across Syria and Iraq, and they've established an Islamic caliphate. And you're like, Oh, I've heard about that for a couple weeks, a couple months now. And then you flip to the front page, and it says January 2004. Can you imagine that? Okay, that some document on this planet predicts major world events. Even months, even a year before they happen, it will be staggering. It will blow your mind. Okay? And these are exactly what the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus are to do to us. They're to stagger back. They're to blow our mind. This is not natural. This is supernatural. We affirm as the Christian church that God speaks. God has revealed Himself in a book. God speaks to His creation. And He announces things that are not as though they were. Let, he, he reveals the end from the beginning. Many have called Isaiah, this is the book that we're going into, the Old Testament evangelist, because of how many prophecies in Isaiah, Isaiah speaks about Jesus. So I want you to, I want you to consider this if you've never considered this before. Isaiah, the oldest copy of the book of Isaiah that we have, the oldest manuscript that we have was discovered in 1947. There was a dig in the Middle East and they pulled up the Dead Sea Scrolls. Okay, y'all ever heard that term before? In that discovery, in those Dead Sea Scrolls, the oldest copy on the planet of the book of Isaiah was found and they named it the Isaiah Scroll. Okay? It is a complete copy of the book of Isaiah. Cover to cover, not a word missing. Complete copy. Now here's the hammer. Here is the hammer. Listen up. Every scholar dates that copy of that manuscript. 250 to 350 B.C. That's before Christ. And so I want I want us to consider these things. You, can, you can't explain this away. We have documents that predate Jesus. That word for word announce what God's about to do in His Son. Do you see that? And so you say, are you telling me? Are you telling me that there are written documents that we have access to on this planet? Written documents about Jesus. You know that one in Isaiah 7, that the virgin's given birth. To a son, they're going to name him Emmanuel, which means God God with us. Or that one in Isaiah 9, that a baby's born, named Mighty God. Or that one in Isaiah 53, that this servant of God is going to be raised up. The sin of His people is going to be laid on Him. And He's going to be pierced through for the transgression of His people. You mean to tell me that we have copies of that manuscript that predate Christ? And I say, yes. That's exactly, what, that's exactly the power of prophecy fulfilled. Our God has announced the end from the beginning. This is a power realm. This is supernatural. This is not natural. So I want to remind us of that as we head in. God the Creator has revealed His plan 700 years before it happens. So, in case we're fighting unbelief this morning, I say that to encourage you. This story of Jesus—it's not a fairy. This is not Veggie Tales. This is not Lord of the Rings. This is not a fairy tale. This is not a myth. I don't care how many times that you've heard this in your life. This was announced for seven centuries before it happens, and then it happened. This is reality. And the Christian gospel, the message of Jesus, is rooted in real history, verifiable history. We don't step out on a limb to become Christians. There's evidence for what God has done in His Son. 700 years, the birth is announced. And then we come to the Christmas prophecy in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. I'm going to read this twice. And we just sung that song a minute ago. I could run through the wall singing that song. About what God has done. God has given us a child. Unto us a child is born. And so I'm going to read this one time. And then I'm going to invite you to read it again with me. Because I know it makes you want to run through the wall too. fires you up for, for Christ. And so I'm going to read it once. And then everybody in the ESV that has it worded it like, like I have it worded. Nothing special about that. I just want us to say it the same way. I'm going to read it once. And then everybody who has the ESV is going to read it with me together. And we're going to read this loud as a triumphant praise to God for what He's done. Isaiah, this Christmas prophecy, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon His shoulders, and His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince, Of peace. And of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over His kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Y'all ready? Y'all ready? Here we go. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon His shoulders. And His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. That blasted off the lips of God's prophets 700 years before the birth of Christ. And this was read by God's people over and over. And over, God's going to send the Son. God's going to send the child. He's going to be named Mighty God. Government's going to be on His shoulders. This was an anchor to the people of God for centuries. But we see this text from a unique vantage point in history, right? Because they look forward to what God was going to do, and we look back to what God has done in Jesus. God has sent the Son. This child has been born to us. His name is Mighty God. God has done these things. This baby that was that was born, mighty God. This was the baby born in Bethlehem. His name is the Lord Jesus. And so, we're going to unpack this text this morning from a Christian perspective. This is a prophecy about Jesus, and we're going to unpack it together as we study through this this morning. And our aim, our sole aim today, is to magnify, to magnify, to glorify God for what He's done in Christ. So, here we go. Let's begin. We're going to unpack this text. The backdrop of the Christmas prophecy in Isaiah 9 is, is that God's people, they're groping around in darkness. Okay? You'll see the last two verses in, in chapter 8 and the first two verses in chapter 9, you'll see a reference to that. That there's darkness in the land. There's darkness among the people of God. The sin of God's people is the background of this prophecy, this Christmas prophecy. Sin and darkness is the inward condition of the nation of Israel. And sin and darkness is the inward condition of every single person on the planet still today. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, There is not a righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. Never going to find him. We are sinners. We're in Adam. We have offended God. Every one of us have sinned. And there's darkness in the land. And this darkness is sin. And I want you to see the desperate situation that the people of God are in in these preceding verses. Listen to this language. These people are said to be in darkness. In the gloom of anguish. In thick darkness. And even in deep darkness. These are judgment metaphors. Okay? These are judgment metaphors that these people are sinful and they're under judgment from God. And this is a description of humanity and sin. The people of God are in sin. Left in this condition, they, there would be no hope. And so the backdrop for this blast of the prophecy in Isaiah 9 verse 6 is that the people of God are in desperate need for good news. Desperate need. They're, they're groping around in deep darkness. And they're in desperate need for good news. And then notice this in the first two verses of Isaiah 9. I want you to see this. That there is a traumatic shift. It's violent. It's traumatic. You have the same group of people upon the ones who dwell in deep darkness. That passage says that a great light is about to shine on that group of people. That's a salvation metaphor. That in sin, in judgment, God's about to do something and a light's about to blast. And it's not just a light, it's a great light. You see that? Something mighty is about to happen. There's a great light that's about to blast away the deep darkness of sin. And judgment. The light here is a prophecy about the work of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said about Himself in John 8, verse 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. God is announcing what He's about to do with His Son. So, so far in this context, we see That there is a light that's about to blast away the darkness of sin. This is good news already, but it gets even better. In verse 1, we see that this mighty deliverance that God's about to bring about will happen in Galilee of the nations If you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that salvation centers around the people of God, the nation of Israel. And God said, this thing is about to go way past Israel. I'm about to shine a light upon the nations. There's about to be a blast, a great light that drives away deep darkness of all the nations. And then God announces a complete victory that will break the rod of oppression over His people. That's verse 1 and verse 4 of Isaiah 9. And then we come to this staggering, earth-shaking, mind-blowing, staggering. Take your breath away, verse 6. How in the world is God going to bring about this great light that drives away the deep darkness among all the nations? How's He going to do it? Verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. All the hope of the people of God hang on a child that's coming into the world. Now this may surprise you. Contrary to our imagination, God did not break through this darkness with a military conquest. He did it with an infant. An infant human being. You see that? This is the plan of God from the very beginning. And this is what makes us marvel at this this story of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. This mighty thing that God accomplishes With this helpless baby in Bethlehem. This is a mighty, mighty thing. God changed the world with a little baby. A child being born. Think about this. This is a reference to the humanity of the child. A child is born. And we know this to be a reference to the Lord Jesus. This child will fully enter the human race as a human being. This is a foretelling of the of. Jesus, He was conceived in the womb of Mary and born of a virgin in Bethlehem. Jesus Christ was really a man. He was fully a man. He was a human being. He was just as human as anybody on the planet, minus sin. He was a sinless human man. He was a child that was born. This little baby that, that was born in the manger, He grew up among us. He grew up on the earth. He ate. He slept. He walked among us. He lived life how we live life minus sin. He enters into the full range of human emotion. (laughs) Jesus was and is a real man. He felt what we feel. The Lord Jesus was a man. He entered into the full human experience. Listen to to what Jesus said about Himself in John 8.40. You seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that he heard from God. Jesus told us Himself that He was a man. Jesus was a human. He was a man. In His humanity, Jesus lived perfectly under the same law that you have broken thousands of times in your life. The law of God. He becomes our perfect example and Jesus' perfect life qualifies Him to die in our place as the Lamb of God without blemish. The spotless Lamb of God. Now this this is critically important. If you've heard nothing else about the humanity of Jesus, you need to hear this. Why? Why, oh God, why did you send your son to become a man? Why'd you do that? Why'd you do it like that? Why is Jesus in a human body? Why? And here it is. Jesus was born to die for sinners. Jesus was born as a man to die for sinners because God cannot die. He became a man for us. He became a man for sinners. God can't die. So Jesus came as a man to die for our sins. He's a man. If He's not a man, you'll never be saved because God can't die. God came as a man to die for our sins. But Jesus is still a man. Jesus is still fully man. In His resurrection, Jesus comes out of the tomb and conquers death as glorified humanity. He's still a man. Today, He stands in heaven as a man. He is our great high priest who has passed through the heavens. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. Jesus is still a man. He never departs from this, from this incarnation. It's forever. The child that was born was named Jesus, and Jesus was really, really a man. And then listen to verse 6 continued. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. So I want you to imagine a newborn infant, and the moment that he enters into the world, that is said about him. He's five minutes old, 15 minutes old, and what do we know about him? He's really a man and the government is on his shoulders. That's a term of kingship and royalty. That Isaiah prophesies that there's going to be an infant king. The moment that he's born, the government is on his shoulders. He is the coming infant king. And we know this helpless infant king to be the Lord Jesus laying in the manger in Bethlehem. Listen to Luke chapter 2, verse 11. This is what they said of Him the night He was born. The very moment He was born, this is what we hear. Luke chapter 2, verse 11 says this, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The moment He was born, they didn't say He's going to be King. They said He's born today and He's the Christ. He is King. He is the Ruler. The moment he's on the planet, this is the infant king that's been prophesied by Isaiah. And then we come, the rest of verse 6, and this is the fourfold proclamation of this infant king's name. We get fourfold proclamation of his name. Now in the Bible, a name indicates the character and nature of a person. These things tell us something about the child, the infant king. In the context of this passage, when they say his name shall be called, we're thinking they're about to say some names that describe a great human being because what do we know about this child so far? We know that he's going to be a son, he's going to be a human, and we know that he's going to be great. He's going to be a ruler from the moment he's born. So when we, when we think about, oh, we're about to find out his name, we're thinking these are about to be great human names. But these names are about to go way past humanity into a whole other realm. These are beautiful names that the Word of God has given to describe the perfections of Jesus Christ. Listen to one commentator. He says the names of Christ are a healing balm into which the Christian soul finds comfort and strength throughout time and into eternity. And so as we unpack these names together, this is who your Jesus is. This is who He is. In all of His perfections, in all of His glory, in all of His majesty, we worship Him from every single angle that we see, and we lift up praise and worship this Christ. And then here we go. This is my favorite part of uh, of His names, or my favorite part of this prophecy. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. You have an infant on the planet, and He says, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. And it's literally a wonder of a counselor. This infant king is going to be called a wonder of a counselor. This child that is born is going to be a wonder. And he's going to possess counsel. And he's going to need that to rule his kingdom. He is the wonderful counselor that rules and reigns in his kingdom. We, we know that this wonderful counselor is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has all wisdom. He knows all things. He has an infinite, perfect mind of knowledge. This is who Jesus is. From the moment that He enters into the, to this world, He is the wonderful Counselor. Listen to Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. In Him, Jesus... Are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Jesus. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. This is said about the Christ of God. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So I just want to take a second to remind you of this. You know this about Jesus. Jesus knows all things. Jesus needs no teacher. Jesus knows everything that you could possibly imagine. He has all wisdom. His plan is perfect because He knows all things. His timing is perfect because He knows all things. Nothing ever catches Jesus off guard because He is the wonderful counselor. This is the one that we trust and follow. We don't follow a kind of know-so God, we, we follow a God that knows all things. No exceptions. He knows all things. Let me give you a, a, a little verse that tells you what happens to a man when these truths about Jesus fall on his heart and pierce his soul. Romans chapter 11 happens to a man. Listen to Romans 11.33. As, as, a, as a saint of God considers this perfect, infinite mind of Jesus, he says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Oh, the depths. Of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments, and how unscrutable His ways. How much of that type thing is happening in your life? Oh, the depths of your knowledge, Lord Jesus! Oh, the depths. This is what happens to a man when he when he's confronted with the wonderful Counselor, the perfect mind of God. This infant King in the manger in Bethlehem is the wonderful Counselor. Verse 6 continues. And His name shall be called Mighty God. (laughs) His name shall be called Mighty God. And I I cannot shake this, that there is a baby on the planet named God. His name is God. He's God in the flesh in an infant child. This is is, unthinkable. 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 unthinkable mercy from God that there's a baby on the planet an infant king named Mighty God and you say, wait a second hold up, time out you just told us you just told us that that, that that child was a son born and that he was a human being you just told us that and I say, yes, I know but he's also Mighty God that same one born is named Mighty God And you say, I don't understand that. And we say, welcome to the mystery of the two natures of the Christ of God. He is fully God and He's fully man. He is the one and only God-man. This is the Lord Jesus. He's God and He's man. He's the baby born and He's mighty God. Listen to Charles Spurgeon here. He says, the two natures of Christ are a mystery that we must not attempt to fathom the depths of. It is far beyond the grasp of finite minds. He says, It is easier for a gnat to attempt to drink the ocean than for a finite creature to comprehend the eternal God. A God that we could fully understand would be no God at all. And if we were to grasp Him fully, He wouldn't be infinite. He would be finite. There's mystery unthinkable wrapped up in the two natures of Jesus. He is born And He's a man, but He is mighty God. Two natures, one Christ. He's fully God and He's fully man. The the earlier announcement in Isaiah 9, it took us to the humanity of Jesus. But this phrase, mighty God, we're face to face with the divinity of Christ. The Christian church has always affirmed that Jesus was God Jesus is not an angel. Jesus is not a good teacher. Jesus is not just a good example. Jesus has always been in the Christian church. Mighty God. The deity of Christ. An error here is fatal for a human being. You can mess up in some places theologically. You can't mess up here. Unless Christ is God, He cannot save you. And if you don't affirm Christ to be God, you cling to a false Christ. Any church that doesn't affirm the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ are heretics. They're a false church and they preach a false gospel. And false gospels can't save. And the only place a false gospel sends a man is to eternal judgment because false gospels can't save. Christ must be God. Jesus as the God-man describes his two natures, human and divine And these two natures work together for the salvation of sinners. In His humanity, He dies for our sins. This is necessary. He must be a man or He cannot die. But in His divinity, He conquers death. And He must be God or we cannot be saved. He must be man and He must be God or we will never be saved. But He is forever the baby born and mighty God. He is God and He is man. This is the Lord Jesus. He's the fulfillment to the Isaiah seven fourteen prophecy. Listen to this. The Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And there's a holy thought in the mind of a human being to think that there was a night in Bethlehem that there was a baby born of a virgin, and his name was God with us. That's a holy thought. Nothing like it. Ever. So we live in a day and an age where we do not glory in this incarnation like we should. We just don't. This this news about what God has done and given us His Son, it doesn't pierce us like it should. It doesn't. If we understood this rightly. You think about this. What would happen in our hearts if if we understood this rightly? If the Spirit pierced our souls, the incarnation, the only right response to the news that God the Creator made Himself a part of creation to bring about the salvation of sinners, the only right response is all humanity to bow down, oh, look what You've done, Lord. It's the only right response. We're so far away from that. The incarnation tells us that God almighty stoops down, condescending grace, made himself low. There is an infinite gap between the creator God and his creation and the incarnation got closed the gap. He came to earth, wrapped himself in human flesh, and he closed the gap. Now, that does not affect us like it should. That that truth that God closes the gap because we live in a humanistic society and what that means we live in a culture that's consumed with self and consumed with man and the reason that the incarnation doesn't pierce us deep in our soul deep in our bones is because we think great thoughts of man and small thoughts of God and so when somebody or in the Word of God, when you see this truth, that God closes the gap, you don't see it as that big a deal, because you don't see the gap as infinite, because you think small you live in a culture that thinks small thoughts of God and exalted thoughts of man, and that is backwards. The Christian gospel affirms that the infinite, holy, almighty God stoops down to save his enemies, not as good, good people, his rebellious creation. Infinite gap close. And we understand that. The only posture of the heart is to bow down in adoration for what God has done. Closing the gap between the Creator and His creation. I want to be honest with you. It is almost impossible. I've racked my brain about this. Prayed about this. It is almost impossible to describe to you the depths of humility that God the Son, the Lord Jesus displays when He comes to this planet. Philippians chapter 2 calls it a humiliation to Christ. The humiliation to Jesus was just the idea that he would wrap himself in in, in human flesh. It's a humiliation. Almost don't even have words to even begin to describe the bowing down, the grace, the condescension that God has showed to his rebellious, sinful creatures in the incarnation of Jesus. This is glorious grace. And the only response from redeemed sinners from God's church is praise you, Lord, for what you've done. That baby didn't come in the manger. We'd be lost forever. God came to save us. This is the message. This is the message. This is why we praise God for His incarnation. Jesus is mighty God. Consider this. His might means that He is able to do all that He desires. Psalm 115 verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Now I want you to think about that. Think about the power and the might of having the ability to do every single thing that rolls across your mind. This is our God. He's mighty. So He's wonderful counselor and He's mighty God. And what this means together, His counsel speaks to the wisdom of His plan and His might and His power speaks to the ability to carry out His plan. Another way to think about this is his powerful hand carries out his wonderful counsel. He does everything he wants to do. He's wonderful counselor and mighty God. Daniel 4, verse 35 says this All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? Because He's mighty. He does everything that He desires to do. He is mighty God. Verse 6 continues, And His name shall be called Everlasting Father. His name shall be called Everlasting Father. Infant King? Yeah, we're going to give Him a name. His name is Everlasting Father. And this is very liable to be misunderstood, so we'll spend a second here. This verse is not teaching that Jesus, God the Son, is God the Father. That is Unitarian theology. That's a heresy. Okay? This is not teaching that. This name literally translates that Jesus, that His name shall be called Father of Eternity. That He is the Father of Eternity. Now that's a staggering name for an infant. Next time you walk up to an infant sleeping in a crib, you just think about that that there's one, there was one like that in Bethlehem that they called the Father of Eternity. This is staggering. So this verse teaches that Jesus is the source, the origin, the creator of eternity itself. He fathered eternity. Eternity comes from Jesus. Just like Satan in John 8 is the father or the origin of lies, Jesus is the father, the origin of time itself. Time comes from Jesus. He's the source of eternity. Jesus is the Alpha. You get that in the book of Revelation. Colossians 1:17 17, 17 says this about Jesus. He is before all things. It's like, wait a second, I thought he was born. He was. But the same one that was born was before all things. He's the Alpha. He fathered eternity. This is who he is. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 is another Christmas prophecy about Jesus. Listen up. Says, but you, O Bethlehem, from you shall come forth for me. One is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. There's one gonna be born in Bethlehem from ancient days. From ancient days. Praise Jesus for his eternity. Time itself springs from Christ, he's before all things. When's the last time that you praise Jesus that he's before all things? Nothing existed before Him. He's the source, even of time itself. Listen to John chapter 8. Now, before I read this, I've already read you a verse in John 8, verse 40. And in that verse, Jesus said, I'm a man. And 18 verses later in the same chapter, we read these words from Christ. Listen to this. You have to deal with this. This is just the truth of God's Word, that He's God and He's man. 18 verses later, after Jesus says, I'm a man, in verse 58, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And Jesus did not say, Before Abraham was, I was. That, that would mean that Jesus pre existed, he was pre existent, that he pre existed, Abraham. What Jesus does is He reaches back and grabs the covenant name of God, Yahweh Himself. And He said, Before Abraham existed, I was Yahweh. And you know what the very next verse in the Bible says that the people that were surrounding Him try to do to Him? Pick up stones and kill Him. Everybody around Him knew that He was claiming to be God. Eighteen verses apart from each other in the same chapter of the Bible, Jesus says, I'm a man and I'm God. This is who He is. His name shall be called Everlasting Father, the Father of Eternity. Verse 6 continues, And His name shall be called Prince of Peace. So this infant king is going to reign in peace. He establishes peace, seeks peace, pursues peace. And this, this word peace, it gets to the heart of the work of Christ. This is what Jesus came to do to establish peace. Individually, He gives us peace with God. This is the most urgent need of every human being on the planet. And you say, peace with God? I didn't know we were at war. Why do I need peace with God? Because the Bible teaches that every human being on the planet is at enmity, at war with God, because sin is rebellion. Sin is rebellion against God the King, and Jesus comes to bring peace with God individually. Corporately, Jesus comes to bring peace that will one day it'll end every single war that you could possibly imagine. This is His reign. His reign of peace. How does He do this? Jesus establishes peace by removing the cause of war, which is human sin. How does He bring His peace? He deals with the cause and the root of war, human sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He alone can bring peace because He alone can deal with sin. Jesus alone is the Prince of Peace. This is who He is. This is His name. This is His name. Verse 7. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. This is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of this infant king and we know that this is Jesus. He has all authority in heaven and earth. This is Jesus our king. He has all authority in heaven and earth. This child will be given the name that is above every single name in His creation the heart of every world ruler, every king on the planet will be like a stream of water in His hand. Entire nations will rise and fall because of the decree, the word of this infant king named Jesus. There is not a square inch in all of His creation over which this king does not reign. He is king over all. He's king of kings. Of the increase of His government and a peace, there will be no end. This is reign of Jesus is a continuation and a fulfillment of the reign of King David. That was God's king. God had made a promise, 2 Samuel 7, that David was going to have a, an offspring that was going to sit on his throne. And Jesus is the fulfillment and the continuation of this Davidic reign from God. And then listen to this. That verse tells us that Jesus' reign is perpetual. It's perpetual. It's forever. Let that slide across your mind that there will never, ever, ever, ever be a moment throughout eternity where Jesus is not on His throne. He will reign forever. It's perpetual, and it's always increasing. It's always expanding. Do you see that? Peace and government are mentioned together, in verse seven, and this this tells us how is this king going to expand out, always increase. And we know this. We live in an age of war, of strife among the nations, and the way that governments usually extend their power and their authority is through military conquest, through war. But Jesus is the king that reigns in peace. He doesn't spread his kingdom by the sword. How does he do it? Through peace. His church preaches the gospel of peace. And this, this, this passage tells us that there's never a moment where that kingdom is not increasing of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. This is the promise of this infant King. He will reign forever. He will never, ever be dethroned. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords forever. So, we praise Jesus for His supremacy. He rules all things. He reigns over all that He has made. Please tell me that you praise him for this, that you praise him that he is God overall. All authority has been given to this Christ. All authority has been given to this Christ. Luke chapter 1, verse 32 and 33. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of His kingdom there will be no end. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Verse 7 continues, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What kind of insurance do we have that this plan is going to be accomplished? The zeal of God Himself, the Lord of hosts. What is the zeal of God? The zeal of God is His love for Himself stirred up to action. Say, what do you mean? I, I, I mean that the God of the Bible loves to glorify Himself. He loves to do it. This God has initiated, He's thought a plan in eternity past. I'm going to save sinners through the work of my Son. In eternity past he thought of this plan and then throughout history he seeks and he acts to activates this plan. And his zeal will ensure that this plan is accomplished. God is saving sinners through the work of Jesus. The zeal of the Lord of hosts is, is the insurance to this plan. God is committed to glorifying himself in the work of Christ. He made sure, his zeal made sure that there was a baby In a manger named Mighty God. His zeal made sure that this baby established a kingdom of peace that never stops increasing. God made sure of this. God made sure of His Word. His Word didn't fall to the ground for 700 years in expectation. He's faithful to His Word and He acted on His plan. So we say, What a baby, what an infant king that's described by these names. What an infant king. What a plan our God has stooped down to save us, becoming part of his own creation at infinite cost to himself. So I want to I want to share just a few thoughts as we close together. Our text in verse six says, Unto us. Unto us a child is born. So I want to ask you this question unto who? Unto who is in that group? This is not automatic good news to every single person. Unto us a child is born. You say unto who? unto those that believe, unto those that respond to the Gospel, unto those that trust this infant King, this mighty God, this Christ. The peace that Jesus establishes is not automatic to every single person. You must receive this good news. You must receive this gift from God. This is the ultimate gift that God the Creator has given His creation. He gave us a baby. You must believe in, you must receive the work of Christ. The Bible teaches that every one of us need this gift. You say, what do you mean? Well, here's what I mean. The Bible teaches that every one of us have sinned. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Take it a step further. The Bible teaches that all humanity by nature is at war with God. Say, what do you mean? Romans chapter 8, verse 7 and 8 says this, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And what that verse means is in our human fallen nature, we hate God. There's a part of us that hates to obey God. We are at war with obeying God. And so we've all sinned. We've all rebelled against God the King. And then the Bible teaches that, that rebellious sinners who die outside of Jesus, enter into an eternal judgment from God. Revelation chapter 20 verse 15 says, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. He was thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus became a man so that that never has to happen to you. Jesus took on human flesh and died on the cross for our sins, so that never has to happen to you. Listen to Jesus' word in John 5, 24. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Jesus came to bring us peace with God. This is the greatest need to every human being on the planet. Peace with God. And this is why Jesus is God's greatest gift to us. The baby in the manger. He's bringing about our salvation. The salvation of sinners. You will never receive that gift unless you see your need for it. You'll never do it. If you see yourself as a good person, if you see yourself as safe, you'll never receive that gift from God. And so our prayer crying out to God, we pray that supernatural things would happen in your heart, even now, that God would show you that you are sinful to the core. That God would show you that you are a sinner and that you need to be saved. This is our prayer for you. That God would open your eyes. That God would show you your sin and that He would show you the Savior. This is what God has done for us. Listen to Spurgeon. Quote as we close. He says, Suppose a very rich man left you an immense inheritance suppose that when you read it you knew the person and you knew that the news was likely to be true this news would place you on your tiptoes in expectation and then he says well there is a proclamation that is going forth today and this one is true that Christ has come into the world to save sinners and this offer is open to every person who repents of sin and trusts in Jesus wide open offer to all humanity all the nations He is the great light that blasts away the deep darkness. And to the church, I want to close with these words. One of the signs that you are losing passion for the Lord Jesus Christ is that this message about Jesus and what God has done, it ceases to become good news of great joy. The moment that that happens, you begin to creep away from a love for the Lord Jesus And so these things ought to stir you. They ought to pierce your soul of what God has done in His incarnation. This is a glorious display of the grace of God for sinners. There's something in you that ought to bow down and be humbled by this glorious news and then stand up and praise your God for what He's done in bringing about salvation. We should marvel at this gift. God has given us His Son at infinite cost to Himself. Never, ever a birth like this. A baby was born named Mighty God. Let's pray. Lord, the first thing that we desire to do today is to praise Your name. Lord, be exalted in Your church. Be glorified for what You've done in Jesus. God, we pray that You would be exceedingly treasured for this glorious plan of salvation. God, we pray, we ask for Your Spirit's help. Help us to rejoice, Lord. Help us to glorify Your name. God, tear back the scales of the humanistic culture that we live in. Help us to think exalted thoughts about You and lowly thoughts about man. Help us to see that gap as an infinite gap that You closed in mercy and love and grace. God we pray today God we pray that you would open any blind eyes among us blind to the to the beauty of the glory of the gospel of Jesus God we pray all over this room that you would tear back the scales God that you would that you would help that you would help people see the beauty the glory in this message of Christ God we pray that you would convict of sin God we pray that it would be overwhelming And that the only remedy would be this this crucified and risen Savior. God, we pray that You would save all around us, all among us, Lord. We pray that You would open eyes and that You would save. That You would call men and women from darkness to light. God, we pray as Your church, we pray, God, that You'd open our eyes more and more to the glorious thing that You have done for us in Jesus. Lord, keep us from coldness. I in my brother's prayer earlier today. God, keep us from coldness. Lord, stir us up, God, to love you with everything that we have. God, thank you for this gift. Thank you for this earth-shaking, mind-blowing gift that you've given us, yourself. Lord, we praise you. God, we thank you that you've made us your own forever. Forever and ever and ever, we will worship you for what you've done for us. We love you, Lord. This is our prayer, in the name of Jesus, amen.